Hello, and welcome to the Rooted in Reliability podcast, your plant performance podcast, where we dive deeper into asset management techniques and know-how. I'm your host, James Kovacic, and I will be your guide to achieving industry best practice. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is here to provide you with the insights to improve plant performance and deliver bottom line results to your organization. In case you missed the last episode, you can find the Rooted in Reliability podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the reliability.fm network. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Now let's dive into today's topic. It's my pleasure to welcome Blair Frazier back to the podcast. Welcome back, Blair. Thanks, James. Thanks for having me. So, Blair, you've been on the podcast quite a few times talking about artificial intelligence, IIoT, all those other great things that's going on with tech and maintenance and reliability. And we're actually bringing you back to talk about some more IIoT things. But before we dive into that, you are now the Global Director for IIoT Solutions for UE Systems. Prior to that, you're with Cortic, Lakeside Process Controls, and heavily involved in maintenance, reliability, and the tech side of it. Although super brief, what else can you fill in for your intro? Yeah, I think I think you know that nails it from a, a career point of view. But uh, the the part that's missing that I think brings a unique value and some some what I call grounding is is the early part of my career. Like like many of us, um, I started as a, a wrench turner essentially. So I, I worked in uh, in Chemical Valley. I became an industrial industrial electrician, although I'm not a very good one. Um, but uh, so I spent a, a lot of my early career actually maintaining assets. Um, you know, getting dirty boots on the ground type aspect of it. And, and it's funny because when I go back and look at it now, and as, as we talk about ultrasound and specifically lubrication, I jokingly say I need to go back to my previous em- employers and apologize for probably killing a lot of bearings over my early career in terms of my <laughs> greasing habits. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to pay them back, obviously, but uh, I should maybe send an apology letter. So it's funny going back, you know, in hindsight, it's always 2020, but going back, you know, 20 plus years now, which is hard to believe. But, um, you know, I was one of those people that it, it, probably some of my motors are, are out there on the Internet of pictures of what not to do, right? Ah, let's get the old grease out to make sure the new grease gets in, right? <laughs> yep. So, so that that part of my career is was 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 very humbling for me to to kind of start to start on the boots on the ground and then and then come up. Uh, I don't want to say work your way up because uh, you know there's a lot of times when I I think I'd rather be back on the the actually turning wrenches and screwdrivers and things like that than than you know sitting on Excel sheets sometimes. But uh, you know, did make that move in the career to on the tech side and then to be a vendor and things like that. Yeah, it's funny because there's days I'm like, it would be simpler just to go back and be an electrician on the floor. That's right. Troubleshoot, maintain, do those things. But like you, I can I can think of all the different times I've killed bearings by oh, yeah. over lubing, under lubing, installing things with a hammer potentially. Oh, um, yeah. You know, all those great things. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And you go back, you just like shake your head and like, oh, I get it. And, and it. and it's funny because I get asked, you know, all the time, specifically, how did you get into IoT and, and even in particular AI? And, and it, it's funny because there's, it's if you were to actually map this process out, like HR would say, "Hey, this was your career journey." It's just a zigzag of lines and confusing some mistakes on my career, some really good decisions in my career, right? So I, I think you know it's it's a non-repeatable path to, to how we got to where we are. But isn't it great? Isn't it great to be in these times of you know this? technology growing and growing and growing. Yeah, absolutely. If anyone does ask me, the one thing I've always said is just don't be afraid to say yes. 
right? right? Try something new. You fail. Oh, well, you tried. You learned a whole lot doing it and then go on from there. That's right. Hey, do you know how to do this? No, but I'll figure it out. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so with, with, all, with that background, uh, coming from the plant floor, coming up through learning IoT, machine learning, all those great things, you know, we want to talk about how do we bring ultrasound to IoT? Um, you know, vibration is fairly simple where, you know, we have, we know what we're measuring. We have certain parameters. We can plug that in and pull it into a, a SCADA system or something of that nature that really tells us what's going on. Right. But ultrasound isn't always as quantitative. Sometimes it's qualitative. So, it, it, yeah. And, and I think, I think right there though, um, you know, you said vibration is, is simple. It's, it's, we think about it, it's really not, right? And, and you think about just the level of training people get to become, you know, specifically a cat floor vibration person, right? Which, you know, I got, I got a few levels to go to get there. So I don't want to over speak from my vibration knowledge, but, um, it, it's really, you know, it's, it's, I would say it's not simple, but it's common. It's an accepted technique to, to diagnose bearings. And I still think it's a great technology by all means. It, you know, and we're the first people to say that ultrasound, fits in with vibration. We're not saying don't ever use vibration. We're saying, you know, we're not saying ultrasound is going to solve all your problems, right? Ultrasound, uh, thermography, uh, oil analysis, they all fit into a, to a bigger ecosystem. And I think that the main difference is, is when we think about it from an IoT point of view, we're, we're trying to capture data. That's really what we're trying to do. But really our goal should be insights, not just data, right? Everyone's saying data is the new gold. It, it's really not. It's really... It's really the, the, the raw material to get to what the new gold is, which is insights. We're trying to get those insights so we can make better decisions on the health and performance of our asset. So when we're in this world of, of generating data, and uh, I always say that uh, studies show that 90, 97% of our data is not used, right? So 90% of the data that we're generating is not used, but yet we feel compelled to go out there, strap sensors on things, and make more data, Right. Yep. So the, the challenge I would say with, with, with any measuring technique is what are you trying to accomplish out of that? So first of all, we take a look at the IoT ecosystem. And, and I jokingly say, and I put up a slide when I do these type of presentations, is I put up all the solutions that are out there mapped by Gartner or whoever it is, right? And it, it looks like we should have no, no problems in our, in our plants whatsoever because there's a solution to every problem. But the reality is there's, there, we still have issues, right? And there's not a solution to every problem. So I think really taking that holistic look of what are you trying to solve. And I think that's where ultrasound has um, a place in, in this IoT ecosystem in terms of, you know, what ultrasound is really, really good at. And what is it good at? It's good at detecting or measuring friction. It's good at measuring impacting. And it's good at measuring turbulence, right? So things like um, uh Compressed air leaks, right? An obvious no-brainer from a uh, an energy point of view. A bearing friction, right? Obviously, from a bearing health point of view. Cavitation, leaky valves, things like that. Very pinpoint solutions, if you will, right? It's not saying you put an ultrasound and you never have a failure again. I think that's a big, big misnomer we have in our industry with this technology and says you install this and you reduce all your bearing failures. Well, you don't, right? <laughs> you might help eliminate, or yeah, I say they eliminate it. You might help reduce them, or you're not going to eliminate them. So I think ultrasound has a very specific application with, within a larger IoT ecosystem. Yeah, I think so too. It's not the end-all, be-all, just like vibration is not the end-all, be-all. It's a good complement to the other technologies out there. And by bringing it into 
IoT, we're going to have that other data source to validate or to find issues and using a different technology to validate. Exactly. Now, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Now, with that being said, how are you? How is ultrasound being brought into IIoT? Is it that quantitative approach, or is it still the qualitative approach with some quantitative values? How is that happening? Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a little bit of both, right? And and um, you know, one thing I've learned to respect over the years is you know the human senses as well from that uh, qualitative point of view, and and also obviously with a with a quantitative point of view. And I think some of the challenges that we have is is we. You know, when we look at specifically, if we focus on a bearing, we're, we're, we're trying to say, what is quantitatively a healthy bearing? What is a bad bearing and things like that? So I think where, where ultrasound plays the biggest value, and I'll speak specifically to, to bearings, um, is, and you mentioned it, it, it's, it's a validation too, right? So I like how it's being used to validate, you know, other technologies as well. But if you think about it from a bearing point of view, Right, the whole point, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about uh, rolling element bearings right now. Okay, we can talk, discuss sleeve or driller bearings later, but specifically from a roller element bearing, what are they called? They're called anti-friction bearing. Right, that's that's <laughs> their technical name. So the whole point is to reduce the friction. That is the the main goal. So we, we we've known this for years. We've known this for many many years. The study is not new. It gets repeated almost every year, and it comes up, and it says, how do most Roller rolling element bearings fail. The, well, studies show over eighty percent prematurely fail because of lubrication issues. Right. So, if we were in any other world, think, you know, you're going to die with eighty percent because of this. We would have dealt with it, right? Or your car is going to break down because of this, or eighty percent chance you're not going to make it to your destination because of this. You, we would have addressed it. But it's an interesting conundrum to get into because we know. That is lubrication, but we haven't had a solution that goes out there and solves those four common buckets, if you will, that cause that 80% of premature bearing failure. Right on the other side, we have lubrication. So we know lubrication is our our superhero. That's what we're fighting against when we do bearings and when we do lubrication, right? So we're fighting against that friction. We're trying to lubricate it properly. On one hand, we have time-based lubrication, which uses these advanced calculations. And if Again, I go back to my early career. What I used to do was blindly, well, I was going to say the blindly plug in these numbers into, you know, a calculator, whether it's an SKF calculator, whoever had a calculator, right? I'm like, yep. okay, this is my shaft. This is my shaft speed. This is my bearing outer dimer and those type of things. And you put in coefficients. Well, what's the temperature? Ah, it's somewhere around here, right? And you get a number. And I just trust that blindly, right? Now that we look at that and we look at it from an IoT point of view, I challenge anyone to pull up a calculation and look at it. There's variables. So the first major variable in that is speed. Obviously, we know speed is going to impact the friction, which is going to wear the grease or the lubricant that's in that bearing more. But often what we're seeing now as we're moving to more energy conservation is we're getting away of, uh, uh, we're getting away from control valves and things like that. And we're controlling flow pressure with variable speed drives, right? So that speed is constantly changing, including duty cycles on and off. Right. And then you look at the other coefficients in there. It's, it's the humidity in the room. It's the temperature. It's the, it's the vibration. There's a whole bunch of all these coefficients where we select kind of qualitative numbers. Yeah. It's between this point and this point. Right. But it's very often it doesn't reflect what's actually happening in our plan. And that's really, you know, the discussion I get into with IoT and this concept of digital twin. People think it just because you put data into the cloud, it's a digital twin. No. 
And a digital twin is not a high-fidelity simulation either. It's not just what it was when it's designed. It should be a reflective of the current operational and health state of that piece of equipment. That's the true digital twin in my, in my books, right? So if we could have that digital twin and then feed it into that calculation, that'd be great, but we don't. So what do we do with ultrasound? We measure the friction. The friction is obviously the thing we're trying to fight with the bearing. So when it comes to IoT and ultrasound, it's really, from bearing point of view, it's all about measuring the friction. You start to think about what we can do with friction, right? When friction goes down, it tells us that we need lubrication. And to get to your um, original question, which is a long-winded answer, is the qualitative or quantitative. We know precisely if you are able to set a baseline on that bearing, an 8 decibel change in that friction, that's what ultrasound is measuring. With, when we're using structure-borne ultrasound, it's measuring the friction. Right, So the condition of that bearing, we know when we see an 8 decibel change, whether we listen to it or not, listening to it is a great validation point to actually hear the lube go in, you hear the sound go down, but you can also trend that value as well. Right, And so when we see that 8 decibel increase, we know that that thin film on, on the bearings has has gone away and we need to replenish that grease. Right, We haven't done it on time, we haven't done it on any calculation, we're using it on the condition of that. So it is a um, a, a quantitative number that we are able to put into our system saying this bearing requires lubrication. Now it comes back to my, my previous statement of saying we need insights. So we're not giving you an FFT. We're not saying, you know, look at all these, these trends and, and step on your, your left foot, bite your tongue to your right. And you can see, you know, this, this, this happening. It's when you get an alert from an ultrasound system that says this bearing requires lubrication. You know exactly what to do, but you take that a step further. So that is very, descriptive quantitative alert really what we want to get into is prescriptive okay this bearing requires lubrication what do i need to do right so you want to go lube it but we got to take it a step further how much lubrication is required so when you look at that 80 percent of premature bearing failures caused by lubrication about 15 percent of that 80 percent is actually caused by inadequate lubrication meaning over or under greasing right and typically what we see is over-greasing, right? You you err on the side of, of over-greasing because you think under-greasing is bad, but of course, over-greasing is just as bad. So what we use, um, quantitative ultrasound values in terms of decibels, and often if people don't understand ultrasound, I say, take decibels out of it. Just say it's a, it's a measure of friction, right? It's essentially what we're doing. We're measuring friction. So then you go and lubricate your bearings. You start to um, dispense uh, grease into that bearing, you reduce that friction, that decibel comes down. Once you've hit baseline, you have sufficiently lubricated that bearing. So we've answered two questions quantitatively. When does a bearing require grease and how much grease is required? Now that is the ideal situation where you actually lubricate it and it goes back down to baseline, right? The reality is bearings are going to have defects. We're going to have issues. We're not going to be able to get it down to baseline, right? Um, and things like that. So there's some challenges you have to put where you have to have some some logic put in, whether it's from a human or an automated system. You know, you need to think about more than just that that best case scenario. All right, excellent. So we're using both quantitative and qualitative to really make informed decisions on you know eliminating friction, for example. Exactly. Now, UE Systems, their IoT platform is on track, right? That's correct. Yeah, we released the on track in in May and. Um, as this is being recorded, um, in a few days, we have a very exciting new feature coming out to the OnTrack that we're releasing uh, in a few days as well. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So what does OnTrack actually 
provide for organizations or what are some good applications for OnTrack? So we got, you know, friction being one. What else is it being used for? So again, you know, when you start to think about the power of ultrasound and specifically, um, if you look at, say, structure-borne ultrasound, typical applications are are bearing monitoring or lubrication health monitoring, um, leaky valves, cavitation and pumps and things like that. Um, and then on the other side, you have airborne ultrasound, which is which is prominently used for leak detection and um, detect corona discharge, partial discharge, and things like that in electrical distribution systems, right? So the OnTrack can use either structure-borne or airborne ultrasound, really where we found the value. And, and really, I, I go out and say this, and I'm the director of IoT for UE Systems, and the first thing I tell people is customers or end users don't need IoT, Right is they need a solution to a problem. Whether IoT can help them solve that problem, it's a piece of a puzzle, right? So what we've designed with the OnTrack is specific use case applications for bearing health and lubrication monitoring, right? So what I tell people is, you know, there's a, I think we're doing ourselves a disfavor in in our industry right now. And it it comes down, in my opinion, now this might be a little controversy to the um, decreasing cost of MEMS sensors. MEMS sensors are the the chips, if you will, that are measuring vibration moving away from piezoelectric crystals, right? And and what's happening there is is you know everyone is now measuring vibration, which I think which is great. I mean, have at it. I think it absolutely serves a purpose, right? But if you look at the P to F curve, where is everyone spending their time and money? It's on that what I call the predictive domain. It's after the failure has already started to occur. It's after the failure. So you go back, you know, would you rather prevent a failure or detect that failure at the earliest possible point, right? And everyone seems to be racing to say, I can detect this first. Look what I detected. And I often get a chuckle and I understand why, Um, you know, people post, look at my system was able to detect and they post 50 images with all these squiggly lines. They have to draw a line over one of them, say, look at this. This was 0.2 millimeters higher than this and this and like, and from a non-vibration guy, I'm looking at that going like, I don't know what that is, right? What I'd rather see is this alert pop up and say, this is what's happening, right? Um, so, yeah, we're focusing on detecting versus preventing. And you go back to Benjamin Franklin, right? Uh, uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And that that has total relevance in our industry. So with with the on-track system, what we're focusing on is reducing those failures from happening, right? We want to reduce that 80%. And we know it's lubrication related, right? Yes, there's misalignment, um, there's soft foot, there's things like that. But if you look at the studies, right, they have a they have a percentage, a very small percentage of causing bearing defects. It's really the the holy grail, if you will, or smoking gun is lubrication, right? So people say, well, how do I start start preventing bearing failures? Well, start with lubrication. Own that. And, and of course, do everything you can, right? Make sure it's properly aligned. But those are typically, you know, precision type maintenance tasks. Right? Make sure your contractors, your mill rights are doing that, right? Um, but when it comes to lubrication, start with preventing failure first, and that's really what the OnTrack system does. It's a it's a bearing health, but more importantly, it's a proactive lubrication needs system to tell you when and how much lubrication to provide to that bearing. This podcast is brought to you by Iridicio. Be sure to check out Iridicio's IBL Blended Learning for Maintenance and Reliability Professionals. This SMRP accredited project-based curriculum will take you through all aspects of a maintenance and reliability program and provides you with all the tools you need to generate a 30 times return on investment for your organization and a set of credentials from the University of Tennessee for you. 
You can find out more at ibltraining.com. All right. I like it because I don't think it's controversial. I think we just don't talk about it enough. We do need to focus on how to prevent these things way more than how to detect them. So whether yeah. it's design, whether it's storage yep. of the spare parts, whether it's installation, whether it's proper lubrication, all those things we got to be doing to prevent failures because all we're really doing with predictive maintenance is wait until it fails then just reacting with more lead time. Yeah, we're not comes, actually proactive. Yeah. It, it comes back to that culture though. No one gets typically no one gets celebrated for preventing a failure because it didn't happen. Exactly. Right? Yep. So it's very tough, but you know, if you go in and detect, hey, I detected this problem, and if we didn't detect it, it would have caused you know, $100 million of damage and things like that. It's easy to, to somewhat quantitate that, but but doing that proactive stuff up front, how do you celebrate something that didn't fail, right? And I think we should, but it's just more difficult to measure. Absolutely, right? How it took us three hours to align this pump as opposed to one, because we checked software, we did, did the proper exactly. misalignment, we did all those things. Yeah. All everyone sees is, oh, you took two extra hours of downtime. Right. But exactly. The, but we didn't replace the bearings after six months like we normally do, right? But no yeah. one remembers that. Exactly. And it goes back, and we've all done it. I'm sure everyone listening to this has done at least one capital project where new equipment has come in. And, you know, often there's no design for reliability, there's no design for maintenance. And that project stops the minute it gets turned on. Oh, maintenance, it's your problem now. Right. And it's the yep. same type of, of, of thing, right? But, you know, what we're really doing with, with the on-track system is, is you know, COVID, you know, whether you, you disagree with the severity of it, and we're not going to get into that battle, but it is challenged the way we have to work within our industry now, right? Um, you know, often challenging us with remote access and things like that. So why we designed the on-track really was we looked at how people were using our, our ultrasound technology, and they were going around on a monthly basis to collect ultrasound data to say, does this bearing require lubrication? And if it does, use this technology to determine how much lubrication to bring that friction back to baseline. And also be able to pick up defects that are beyond that lubrication failure mode to say, hey, this is starting to fail, right? Yep. So we've had this and we've sending people around. Really what, what this pandemic has, has taught us is, you know, those resources of these specialists are scarce, right? We know how hard it's going to replace people and things like that, right? So really the on-track came about saying, how do we stop people from going out uh, and collecting this data? We really want to bring that data to, to the people, right? And when you start capturing data with the on-track every minute or every second, you know, you can pick up those lubrication needs uh, a lot sooner or when it's starting to fail, you can see the operational impact on these bearings and things like that, right? So really insightful, right? And we, we saw a lot of value in that because what you can do is get this information anywhere, anytime on any device. So at any point in time, and we have some customers that have given me permission to access their data. So I can pull up a system that's, uh, you know, at least a 10 hour drive away from me right now. And I can see that friction on that bearing on this cooling tower, right? So if I wanted to, I could take my cell phone up to that cooling tower, start to lubricate and watch in real time on my cell phone as that friction starts to go down, which is phenomenal, right? We're no longer, you can bring any device. You can get this real-time friction on any device. And that is a true IoT system, right? And I think it, there's a huge advantage to that, not just from, you know, bringing that data out, but you think of all the bearings that are behind, that's behind guarding, that. hard to access location. Now we can still lubricate those with precision because we have this real-time data that we're not relying on, you know, feel or whatever 
we actually have that data available. Exactly. It's, it's, yeah, we're moving kind of away from our gut or best case calculation and things like that, right? And I don't know how many times I've seen people, and, and I've, I'm guaranteed I've done this, where you have the lubrication lines because you don't want to get your head, head chopped off by a moving fan, right? Obviously, you have to lubricate when it's moving. Um, so you bring these, these lubrication lines out. Well, sometimes they get blocked, right? Sometimes they're not connected on the bearing on the other side and you're just pumping grease into a, out the other end, right? But I'm doing it based on this calculation, but I have no idea if it's making it to the bearing. So now we get that quantitative information. You will know if that grease is getting there because that friction is going to change, right? Um, so yeah, we get this information anywhere, anytime on any device. But what's great is we also built the system to be open. I think this is where industry needs to go. And it's a, it's a different mindset. I think everyone is getting to this point is no one organization or, or vendor company, if you will, is going to own the ecosystem of IoT. Everything has to work together. So we designed this system to plug and play with any other system that's out there. You want to send data to OSIPI, PLC systems uh, like Rockwell or, or Delta V DCS systems, SAP Maximal. It's your data. Send it where you want it to go, right? We don't want to own your data. We don't want to build this massive ecosystem where we have you know, all this data coming in and all the work order history. No, there's systems out there that are designed for purpose to have this type of data in. Let's connect it to it. And right? I think that's that's critical because I don't know how many times I get asked by customers or other people, how, what's out there to pull my vibe data, my ultrasound data, my oil analysis data, my work order history together so I'm not going across six screens on a day-by-day basis, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Talk about culture change. How tough is that to keep on adding new screens and new... I haven't read a new login, right? Oh my gosh, i got to remember my password. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? So I'm not saying that, you know, what, what you have to balance is, is our... So we've developed our own cloud platform designed specifically to work with the OnTrack system. It's called UE Insights, right? And it's designed for purpose for this system, Right? If you were to bring oil analysis data into it, it's not going to be the best platform, right? Because it's designed to, to measure friction. It's designed for ultrasound. Yep. So what we see is customers use our UV insights for design for purpose to monitor the lubrication, to bring their cell phones out or tablets to, to lubricate with and things like that. But they also send that data for a more comprehensive overview into a larger system, right? And I think it's not it's important it, it, to understand that data doesn't have to go just to one place. Data can go to multiple places, right? That is that is the key to an IoT system is to make sure that you know, data can go to multiple places. It's not just, hey, once it's here, it's there forever, right? Yep, I think that's key. Now, UE Insights, does that include machine learning, predictive analytics, those sorts of things? Yeah, and it, what's interesting, you go back to that quantitative discussion. Obviously, you know, I, I, I felt backwards into, into artificial intelligence for three years and became very vocal because what I was finding was, you know, it, 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 and, and mind you, I am no by no means a data scientist. I'm the furthest thing, right? Um, but I was, I was, I learned from literally some of the best in the world, right? And and I had to ask stupid questions over and over again. I'm like, what is that? What is it? explain? Dumb it down, dumb it down, dumb it. I don't get it, right? And and so when I what, what I've what I've learned is obviously AI is going to be um, a, a game changer, if you will, in our technology in our space, right? To sift through all this data, to find insights we couldn't find before. So when we look at where we're going to use artificial intelligence within ultrasound is, you know, the holy grail of remaining useful life. Yes, that is fantastic, right? Um, even using machine learning to set alarms and things like that, right? To, to, to determine, um, you know, is my 
lubrication optimal from the data points I have, the, the days between um, lubrication cycles, the amount I'm using based on the, the friction value and things like that, so multivariable analysis. So what we find is we do not need advanced calculations or AI to make insightful decisions on the, the, the life and health of our bearings. Where it's going to come into play is when you start to integrate this data, ultrasound data, into other technologies, right? So really, we are going to use um, AI and ML for some aspects of it to make our lives easier in our in our UE Insights platform. Where I think the biggest value of AI and ML is going to come in is once it leaves our on-track system or UE Insights and goes into a larger system. When you start saying you start using process data, ultrasound, vibration, work order history, things like that, that's where AI is really going to have the biggest value. All right, perfect. So. What I'm hearing is, is this is really a way to bring precision lubrication to bearings across the entire facility and not have to equip everyone with a, with a, with one of the lube systems, right? They can That's use right. a standard grease gun, but we're still going right. to do it correctly. We're going to get That's real-time right. feedback. Yeah, and exactly. So, so what we've done, and, and uh, anyone that's been through my presentations would, would see the slide. I have a slide of someone using their cell phone and a grease gun to grease the bearing, right? And everyone's like, holy crap, are you, on? you can see these real-time trends and, and things like that. In fact, um, the first time they'd done it, I, I was sitting in the comfort of my home office because I, I can't go anywhere. And I'm watching the real-time friction on my screen while this customer who's, you know, 10 hours away is lubricating next to that bearing, and I'm seeing exactly what they're doing. Okay, you just put a shot of grease in. He's like, I did. That's so cool. I'm like, okay, I watched it go down. You know, I would recommend you put another in. Let's try to get it to baseline. Guess what happened? It didn't get to baseline, and that friction started going up. I'm like, hold on. Do not put any more in. He's like, what? I haven't hit baseline. I said, yeah, there must be a defect. Something is stopping that friction from going to baseline. If you continue, you're going to over-grease that bearing, right? And that's kind of um, condition-based or ultrasound-assisted lubrication 101 right there. But how cool is that that I could see this? Now, the challenge we have when we innovated with this product is everyone's like, oh, my gosh, this is so cool. And, and you know, we can't keep up to demand right now, which is a great thing because people are really testing it out, right? Okay, I'm going to pick, you know, these bearings. We're going to do this. And we're going to shift uh, from this. But what we've done, if you if everyone reads that study, and I think it was an SKS study that say over 80% of bearing premature bearing failures are, are lubrication issues, you go to the four common issues. And, of course, one is... Um, you know, insufficient lubrication quantity. Um, but the other factors that are in there um, have to do with contamination. It's actually one of the biggest points. Um, so, and, and, and also making sure you use the right grease. So we've gone to tremendous lengths to make sure that people use the right grease in, in each bearing, right? So um, dedicated Zerk fittings that won't fit on any other thing unless you have that right, right grease done, right? But it's still, you have human error possibilities in there, Right. And, and the other challenge is every time you use a grease gun, one of our customers said, have you ever seen a lube tech wipe down a Zerk fitting before they lubricated? I'm like, it's, it's you know, it doesn't happen very, I've seen it, I've seen it, and I felt like hugging that person, right? But, um, you know, it often doesn't happen. You walk around, and you're like, oh, hope this is the right grease, and you put it on, right? Um, so one thing we haven't done with the on-track is we haven't eliminated those two failure modes, if you will, right? Contamination and um, the right grease type. And that's really where we've seen the technology of these, what is called an automatic lubricator, devices that are installed on a bearing or through distribution blocks, get based on time, but you know you're getting the right grease at the right time. So we got thinking, and it's really our customers fed this back. And it's been something people have been asking for for years. And when it snuck out a little bit through some 
some customer uh, interviews and, and LinkedIn and stuff like that. But what we were able to do was integrate the technology of the um, ultrasound guided or condition based lubrication with the convenience and safety of these automatic lubrication devices. And that's what's getting released um, in a few days here. And this is really game changing technologies. And I don't like to use that game changing word, but it really is because Automatic lubrication devices were still based on time. Yes, some of them had vibration sensors built in, but what it's trying to do is to make sure when it dispenses, that equipment is running, and also try to influence the duty. So how much has that motor actually run? But you're still doing it based on cal theoretical calculations. But it's really darn good at dispensing with accuracy and making sure it's contaminant-free and you're always using the right grease because it's a dedicated cartridge um, for that bearing. So what we did is we form partnerships with these um, automatic lubrication devices, but they're no longer, well, they are still automatic, but they're not going to be based on time. We get the value of that friction coming in from the on-track, right? It senses that change in friction, then it's going to dispense, regardless of what that ambient temperature is, regardless of what the vibration is, regardless of how much time has passed. We are still doing it on condition, but anywhere, anytime, through our phone, we can lubricate that bearing with precision, with ultrasound-guided feedback, without actually having to physically attend that bearing, right? So you start to think of the benefit of that. Oh, this bearing requires lubrication. Normally, you had to go out there and, and do a route. Or you had to say, okay, i got to grab this grease gun, this grease type, this, right? But now, you can hit a button, literally on your cell phone, or put it in what we call a sys mode, where it's going to go through that logic with safeguards in place that we don't over-lubricate. That scenario I gave you, it's built in to make sure, oh, crap, I didn't get to baseline, but decibel, my, my decibels or friction is going up. I better stop and notify this user. So essentially, you get an alert. This bearing requires lubrication. So, okay, cool. Yeah, this is the right time. I'm not going to shut this motor down anytime soon. I'm going to hit this button. It's going to take its time. It's going to, okay, make sure you have the right security password. Are you sure you want to lubricate? Yes. Okay, I'm going to dispense a known quantity. Did my decibel change? Yes, it went down. It didn't get down to baseline. I'm going to do it again, right? And there's obviously time in between, right? So we're really, one customer that uh, tested the system for us found a 95% saving in lubrication tasks by not having to physically go attend to that bearing, right? And it's actually funny because the customer that did this, we had this system up and running and I got the alert and I got so excited because I've been watching this and it said, this bearing requires lubrication. We saw, you know, a, an increase in that friction. I said, hey, do you want to try to lubricate this? And, and, and the director came back and said, I do, but my lube guy is on vacation. I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> I really want a case study here. Let's do this. And he's like, okay. So his uh, lubrication technician was actually on a canoeing trip but had cell phone access. He got on. He said, okay, I'm going to do this. Went on his phone on a canoe and lubricated that bearing, right, as if he was right next to it. Dropped that friction down. He actually was able to get it to baseline, said, there, I'm going back on vacation. Screw you guys, I'm done, <laughs> right? <laughs> but he was able to do it, right? So how, how, how awesome is that? That is fantastic. And that has always been the concern with those remote lubers is you might have a line break. Exactly. Did they get stuck? Did the battery stop working? Is there something else going on with the bearing? Like you can go on and on of why yeah. you almost don't so, want to use them. So, yeah, exactly. So since we we're controlling every move of that lubrication device, and one of the things is people either love them or hate them. And if they 
if they do have them, they, they typically use them for areas they can't access, right? And, and, and every customer I've talked to as we've lead this out, say, what's your thoughts on these lubrication devices? They say, you know why it's a really good idea? But I threw mine in this big green bin because I just I didn't know, right? I had confidence saying, oh, yeah, it's doing this thing. But grease wasn't getting there. You know what the most common thing is? Is the damn thing run empty, right? I have to, I have to do a PM to check my luber that's doing a, essentially an automatic PM on my bearing, right? So now, because it's connected to our system, we know exactly how much level is left in that dedicated grease cartridge, right? So you can put it, you can put an alarm saying if it gets below 10%, send an email to procurement to order a new one, right? Yep. So it's as simple as that. Absolutely. And that, that is a major game changer. We're eliminating all those concerns with auto lubers based on what you guys are doing. That's right. Now, I know it's not released for three more days, but by the time this goes out, they'll be out there. So I want the yeah. link for that so I can include it in the show notes for everyone. Sure. I will send it to you and I'll say it. It's, it's, uh, uesystems.com forward slash smart lube. So it's called smart lube. So uesystems.com forward slash smart lube and it'll get you to our, um, exciting new landing page for, for the smart lube. All right. Excellent. Perfect. Now we've talked a lot about ultrasound, IOT, on track, you know, all these great things you guys are doing. Is there anything else that we didn't touch on from an on track yeah. ultrasound IOT thing that we want to make so, sure we address? I appreciate it. And, and you look at uh, our, uh, our technology and engineering department at UE systems and they say, everyone's losing weight because we got so much on the go. Right. And I don't <laughs> want to, to leak so much out there, but if you take back at, at, you know, what happened with COVID. So you have two choices. And I think it was the, the CEO of GM at the time came out and said, if you, if you came into, um, this pandemic and you come out the same way you came into it, you have failed. So what we did is we took an opportunity, right? We took an opportunity of our guys not being able to get into plants to get feedback. What have you learned from your customers over the last five years? What are your customers telling you? So the first thing we had to do is we developed completely online virtual ultrasound training, which gets filled up. And yes, we, we do cap a virtual training because it's still instructor led, right? We still want some intimacy in that, right? Yep. So we went online with training. We went and developed, we had a forecast system meant for very critical bearings. You can record the, the friction level, but also the sound recordings and the wave file and, and, and do spectrum analysis with it. We took that technology and we brought it to electrical assets. It's called our foresight system. So now we can monitor electrical cabinets, distribution cabinets, MCC panels, looking for Corona partial discharge, all online. We came up the on track. We came up UE insights. And now obviously this release of, of the smart loop technology. And then what's coming down the pipeline is I'm not going to get into it, but, um, I would say for anyone listening and if you're interested in ultrasound technology, we have releases that are going to be happening through all out starting in early 2021. That's really going to, um, change the game from a, a few other aspects as well. Just like we're looking at changing the game from lubrication. Well, how else is technology being used? Ultra, um, steam trap monitoring, valve leak monitoring, cavitation, right? So you start to see the hints of where we're going with this technology. Yeah, it's exciting. I'm excited to see all the different pieces come together in this platform. Um, yeah, you're definitely going to have to keep me up to speed on what's going on. may require Absolutely. a trip up to... Uh, your area to see all these fancy toys too. Yeah, I know. If you if you see my uh, my living room, my home office, I got uh, stuff spread anywhere. I got bench grinders so I can grab an ultrasound signal. I got wires going everywhere. It's 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 a like a mad scientist lab in here. Excellent. Well, Blair, I want to thank you for taking the time today to talk to us about all these great things. So 
Brain, Ultrasound, IoT, all these other things you guys have going on. But before we go, where can people find out more about you and those great things going on at UE Systems? Great question. So obviously, if you want to find out more about UE Systems, go to our website, uesystems.com. Uh, on there, you're going to find a lot of information, all of our products. And, and more importantly, I think it's it's not the products, it's the applications, right? Is is We have a great applications page. Start there. Try to figure out your problem you're trying to solve and which which product would better solve that problem. And then for me personally, the best way to always reach me is, is LinkedIn. Pretty pretty active. I've taken a little bit of a, a slowdown on LinkedIn just to, to work on these products, but uh, LinkedIn is always the best way to, to reach me. All right, perfect. I'll make sure to put links to all these things you mentioned in the show notes where I can. Blair, once again, I want to thank you for taking the time today. I definitely got a lot more excited about ultrasound and IoT talking to you. So Great. My pleasure, James. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye. I would like to thank you for listening and remind you that you can always find out more on maintenance, reliability, and asset management at www.iridicio.com and by following our blog. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is a proud member of the Reliability.fm network. I'd like to ask you to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. It ensures the podcast stays relevant and is easy to find by like-minded professionals. It is only with your ratings and reviews that the Rooted in Reliability podcast can continue to grow. I thank you for providing this small but critical support. We'll see you next week when we dive into another burning topic with Rooted in Reliability, your plant performance podcast.